0: All right and it looks like we are live. Tonight we are chatting with the lovely Tammy and she I believe is coming on live in a moment but we are going to be talking tonight. We've got an hour of power and we're going to be talking all things mental health because tomorrow is World Mental Health Day. So welcome Tammy. Can you hear us okay? Yeah I can. Can you hear me? Perfect. This is awesome. It feels like it's too easy. The technology here kind of worked, which is pretty (laughs) unheard of, right? Oh,
1: yes. (laughs) Gotta love it.
0: Yeah, no, it's really good. Well, welcome to the show. It's really nice to have you. And we've got this really cool new format where we're not, it's a bit unscripted. So we're just kind of having no agenda. We obviously know what we're going to be chatting about in mental health, but we're just going to see how the conversation flows and you know, I think it's like sitting down with a cup of tea with a friend. We all just kind of let things unfold. And the more you talk, the more you get to find out, right? 100%. <laughs> yeah. So I know you're putting your little one has just been kind of being put to bed. How about you start by telling us um, who Tammy is and your yep.
1: journey to motherhood? Sounds good. So I'm a first-time mum to little Indy. So Indy's now 11 and a half months old. Um, she's a cheeky little monkey, but she's um, are <laughs> very cheeky. So when I had her last year, so last October, um, everything went fairly smoothly up until birth, um, and after that point I developed quite severe perinatal anxiety, um, you know, okay. where it was quite debilitating. Yeah, it was it was so hard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah it, was, it was really difficult and I guess, um, you know, I had challenges around feeding Indy because she hadn't developed a, um, uh, like, the sucking reflex and, yeah, I guess it, you know, sort of went on from there and, you know, became quite challenging, so, yeah.
0: So, we are we talking, like, October last year, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so, she lockdown? was a COVID baby.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I know, and I know it's quite funny to have to even ask that because my timelines are so mixed up. Like, were we in lockdown then?
1: I can't remember. It feels like it's been so long. <laughs> yeah, actually, no, we had just got out of lockdown, but there was still still some restrictions in place. Like I know, um, you know, for my family, it was so ridiculous, um, you know, that I had to basically have a little schedule around who could come and visit when because you could only yeah. have one visitor a day for one hour. Um, so wow. I literally had to like schedule my family when I'm one of four kids. So somebody missed out, right?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That's full on. And then when you came home where things kind of, opened up
1: again and a bit more normal, as they say? Yeah. Yeah, so when we got home, um, yeah, it was fairly normal-ish. Yeah, there wasn't really too many restrictions apart from, I guess, healthcare facilities, Um, you know, so that was all right. But I guess I really spent, I I know like most mums, um, you know, new mums, but I really spent probably the first six weeks at home and probably the first four weeks literally in our bedroom um, you know, just really yeah. struggling with anxiety. So, yeah.
0: Was that something that you had ever experienced in your life prior to becoming pregnant and being a mom?
1: So, not, not exactly. So, I guess in hindsight, I had, um, like, I definitely had gone through some anxiety over the last, probably, so since early 2019. So, there was an incident that I had to deal with in my professional life um, and that really put significant strain on me because it basically went on for six months, um, you know, so really okay. that's when I developed anxiety um, but one, but it was nothing like this. But once I had Indy and I had, I guess, slowed down um, and, you know, then I guess it really, really hit me hard. So, like, to the point that I struggled to sleep, I was having, you know, constant panic attacks. There was some times that I actually couldn't feed Indy, that I was, um, like, too unwell to feed her. Um, I think for the, yeah, it was crazy. Like the first six weeks, um, like when my partner Kelvin wasn't, um, you know, home, I literally had a family member with me 24 seven because I was afraid I'll do something wrong. Um, I was just nervous. Yeah. Like about walking up the stairs, down the stairs. I didn't bath her until she was three months old. It was, yeah, it was very debilitating. So, I can only imagine it was just like a whole lot of fear, right? It sounds
0: like you were quite scared to either walk up and downstairs and to bath her, thinking that something would happen to her.
1: Yep. Yeah, definitely. And it was just everything. Like, I obsessed over. Everything. And I think one of the worst things was actually getting, without naming a brand, um, getting one of the um devices, like the um, like you know, like the sleeping, like the baby monitors. So yes. yeah, we got one that um, you know, almost top of the range, I guess, that measured oxygen and heart rate and all this, like too much. But yeah, then, yeah. you know, a couple of times we had some false positives, so it went off when she was okay. Um, and it Jeez. totally freaked both of us out, but especially me. And I think yeah. since that point, um, you know, when we woke up in the middle of the night, like, you know, with the siren sort of going off, I, um, I honestly just would lay there in bed just watching this light. Just, you know, yeah. it was green and then just waiting for it to go red. And it was just, it was crazy. So, but I, yeah, I don't know. Like it was literally, it actually took one of my friends to say to me, "Tim, what are you doing? Like. This device is not helping you. Cause I guess I, you know, was talking about it openly how I was feeling. And she's like, yeah. Have you actually thought about maybe throwing this bloody device out the window? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then and I literally stopped that night. I'm like, I'm not doing this. She's right. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah.
0: But for some somehow, I don't know where it comes from, right? Because if I knew that, then we could hopefully try and prevent this. But somehow we've been it's being taught to us throughout our life in our generation, especially now for newer mums, that everything has to be perfect. And I don't mean like as in looking perfect, but monitoring your baby's oxygen when it's sleeping because of SIDS and, you know, all of the risks that we now know, thankfully. But things like this, we feel like, well, we have to have it to be a good parent and to keep our child alive and safe.
1: We have to have it. But like you said your detriment it actually wasn't helpful for you? No, oh a hundred percent. Like it's crazy that you know and that's the thing. Like it's you know SIDS is obviously such an important um yeah. you know condition that can obviously go wrong. And you know I know within my family like you know my, I've got a huge family um and some of my I think two of my aunties had lost um you know children to SIDs like this is years and years ago. Oh, um, yeah yeah, like I guess, you know, it's been, it really has been drilled into us. And then my mum actually lost um, one of my brothers when he was, he was 28 weeks. So he was preemie and didn't survive. Yeah. And I was only four and a half years old and that's my very first memory um, as a child. So I guess, you know, my anxiety was heightened because of all that. And I guess, you know, when you go to the obstetrician and they just obviously remind you the importance of SIDS and don't wrap them. Yeah. Don't do this. Don't do that. And it's like, oh God, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? It's it just gets yeah. so overwhelming. So yeah, it's that information overload, isn't oh. it? Where, <laughs> so I've heard so many
0: mamas say, or oh, one one you know obstetrician or midwife, whoever it is who's caring for you, right? One yeah. of them will say this, but then my mum will tell me this, and then I'll read it in a book and it will tell me this, and none of them quite align. And I think that's because, and I hate that saying, oh, well, everybody's different, you just have to do what's right for you because just like you, Tammy, you thought that that bed monitor would, was going to be the best thing, yeah. but you didn't know. Like h- how are you meant to know what was best for you until you got to that point where you were like, I can't sleep, I can't do anything because this is this monitor is going to go off. You know, I remember my sister, because I lived with her when my nephew was born and he's, you know, a teenager now, but they had the same thing, this this mat underneath the mattress. But what would happen yeah. is when you go in in the middle of the night to pick him up because he was crying or he needed a feed, if you forgot to turn
1: it off, it went off and woke the entire house up. <laughs> yeah I, I my sister had one of those ones and I'm like no so this is the thing like what are my nieces um oh god I'm bad with that so eight and ten I think or eight and eleven eight and eleven yeah. and I remember like I'm like okay you know that's eight years ago since my sister had Lexi so it's like oh, we need to get you know something that's even you know more advanced so then we look to the top of the range like who needs oxygen like <laughs> oh yeah. my god like I know in hindsight it's crazy but you know, I guess when I seen this device on the internet and I'm like, you know, you think, you're, like you said, you're doing the right thing and you don't want to then not get it because it's like, what if something did happen and it could have alerted you? But honestly, it was, that was actually one of our biggest mistakes. Like that just caused yeah. so much extra anxiety. Like, yes, yeah. I was anxious before that, but once it went off, like, honestly, it was like, I just sat there, like, or laid there all night watching this light, yeah. waiting for it to go off. It was just shocking. And then that
0: sleep, when they say, I sleep when the baby sleeps," and things like that. If you if you've got lots of anxiety, you can. I remember going in and putting my my finger under Elsie's nose, my little one, just yeah. to feel the air come out. Or I'd go in and just watch her. I think I the anxiety got to me, and to the point where I would just get a pillow and just lay in on the floor in the cot, like next to the cot, just to watch. Because I was yeah. really tired, but I just wanted to be there and could hear every move. But then that in itself, because every little gurgle, you're like, what was that? Are they choking?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, the amount so of noises I make, okay. Oh, my gosh, yes. And I think anxiety is something that we are only really starting to understand and unpack a little bit more Compared to other things that we're, you know, a lot more aware of, like breast cancer awareness this month, you know, we know a lot about that, but anxiety still has this taboo and shame around it, like, oh, you're not coping, or you're crazy, or she's a mental case, like, it's one of those things where
1: I think we're getting better. I don't know, what do you think? I think we are getting better, but to be honest, we've got a long, long way to go. Like the the stigmas still exist. And, you know, for me, this is why, um, so my, um, you know, so I guess I've been in, you know, corporate for the last 17 years. And before I was going back um, to work, like I'm in the senior leadership team, I actually made a decision to share my story. So I think it was about maybe two or three months before I decided to share my story and I was packing it like I I remember telling my family and they're like Tammy you're crazy why would you share that and I'm like this is the whole point people don't share this stuff they don't share it enough like I consider myself fairly strong and I'm like well if I don't share it how's anybody else going to share it like do you know what I mean like it takes yeah yeah, so I did and like honestly it was it was hard and yes that you know there was some judgment from people but Look, it is what it is um, and, you know, that's okay. But I think the more of us share it, then people follow on. And by your story, Tammy, just
0: to remind people who have just jumped into the call because we kind of started a little bit early, which is totally fine, um, being this is, you know, we're trialling this new format. Your story in terms of when you became a mum and your anxiety, when did you kind of realise that something probably wasn't right like could you feel it yourself or did someone have to point it out to you
1: Yeah. so at the time um I knew something wasn't right but it was really difficult for me to realize what it was I guess in hindsight it was quite clear so it didn't yeah like it took um the midwife coming you know back to our house I think was it a week after we got home um and when she you know I said to her I said I've got this lump in my throat so I was one of those unlucky ones that had god I can never say it properly how do you say um how how do you say her premises you know like the constant like the chronic vomiting
0: oh Um, yes yes when you were pregnant so did you have that when you were pregnant with Indy
1: yes yeah the entire time so right until birth so literally like I was still vomiting constantly until um yeah literally um pushed her out um yeah so because of all of that like I was very very sick all throughout pregnancy with that so I thought like I felt like a lump in my throat and I remember I think it was a day after um I gave birth maybe yeah that the obstetrician came around to the ward like into my room and it's like oh you know how you doing I'm like oh you know I'm okay but I've got this like you know lump in my throat and um and I said, I wonder if it's because of all of the vomiting I've been doing, like, have I done, you know, some serious damage? And then she's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, I guess, um, you know, when you get home, go see your GP. And that was that. So that was literally day one. And then, you know, it took, like I said, the midwife. So I was in there for five days or no, six days, actually, because I was too anxious to go home. Like, I just couldn't get the breastfeeding thing you know, worked out and I just was so scared to go home. Um, So we stayed a bit longer. But, yeah, so then once the midwife came and then I said to her about this lump in my throat and I said, I need to go see my GP. And she's like, Tammy, you know, are you sure you're not anxious? I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then so she did an assessment. Um, That's literally, you know, like the standard assessment, yeah. And then she's like, Tammy, you've got, like, you know, severe anxiety. Like, you know, she did the assessment. I'm like, oh, God, like now it all makes sense. I just... I don't know, I guess, you know, you become a first-time mum, you just don't, even though you, you hear all about it, um, you know, about, you know, depression, like really it's more postnatal depression, I heard more of than anxiety. Um, yeah. And, like, I wasn't feeling down as such at that point. It was, like, you know, anxious and I just yeah, I didn't recognise it for what it was at the time, but it was really clear in hindsight.
0: Yeah, and isn't that funny how... Oh look, I'll share with you something. It's it's people can laugh at this, right? But it's only once I kind of shared it with another mum show sure that I do that. And I thought I was the only person in the world <laughs> that now you can look back in hindsight and realise what some signs and symptoms were. And yep. so for me, it's picking my nose, and it's not as in not as in picking boogers out, right? It's as yep. in Cleaning it, so I have this obsession with cleaning stuff when I'm feeling anxious. Everyone almost loves the fact when Mummy's not that great because we get a really clean house. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's the way I can control things, and when you can't control things that happen with your body or your mind, I can clean things and they feel better. So I had this tendency when I was breastfeeding because I was struggling with it so much and I couldn't control it and I couldn't get it a latch properly. I would, with my other hand, clean out my nose with a tissue and all of that, but I would pick at it to the point where it would bleed
1: Yeah.
0: and then it would dry and then I'd pick the scab because it felt dirty. So only after, which obviously we'll get into a little bit more, only after some really serious mental health support, I realised that's one of my signs and I realised that my husband needed to know that when he sees me doing it because I don't even know I'm doing it now, Yeah. Um, that that's probably a Signal that stuff is not very okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I totally get it. And that's the thing. Like, it's amazing. Hey, like, even, like, yeah, you know, I don't think it's, you know, weird at all because I guess it's only once you're in it and you become more actually, not even once you're in it, it's once you're sort of coming out of it, I guess, out of the trenches yes. that, you know, you yes. realize what's been going on. But I did a picking thing as well. So, and every now and then <sighs> when my anxiety spikes, like, I do the same. But like, I would, um, I remember when I was pregnant. Um, and again, in hindsight, I had severe anxiety all throughout pregnancy. So I really did mm-hmm. have like, you know, perinatal, but I didn't yeah. know at the time. And I wish I did because I wouldn't probably have spiralled so badly. But anyway, um, but what you I did was... You had a, a chance to work through it, right? Oh, 100%. And it took me twelve or 12 or 13 weeks after giving birth to Indy to get mental health support because of COVID like the system was at capacity oh, so yes, yeah yes. it was so crazy and i'm like why didn't i get picked up and because i went through um because i went through the private system i didn't okay. get any formal screening done so the cope foundation which now like i'm doing a little bit of work with um you know stuff happened in the background with them but um you know with them they do the screening in the public system but not in private like they have the you know screening because even for me mm. back then like that yeah like things like picking like I used to pick my lip so like I've got photos oh. even when I gave birth to India yeah, I just constantly picked my lips to the point that like they were dry my mouth was obviously dry because of the anxiety as well and I'll just constantly pick until it was like bleeding then it would like exactly what you said scab over again and do the same thing um, going, yeah Yeah, like it was crazy and then I don't pick my lips as much now but if I'm feeling really anxious, I do pick my skin and then like it would just, I'll just keep picking it and it's like, oh, you just, you don't realise you're doing it in the moment though. No, you don't, right? And it's
0: the same with um, another sign for me was uh, if I wake up in the morning and I couldn't decide what to eat for breakfast because I just was so tired or maternally fatigued or anxious, right? Yeah. Uh, if I couldn't decide between Vegemite and peanut butter, I would just walk away from the kitchen. And I didn't realize that I'd stopped eating for a, a long time because I was just too busy worrying about babies. That, that apparently that is a symptom too—just that inability, to, inability to make a decision. Yeah. And that's when you—it's another thing now. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I can't think. I don't like when I say, oh, it's not just like, oh, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. Not like that. I mean when you can't think, you can't make a decision between two things day after day after day. And it's a continued pattern to the point where you, yeah, I'm not really eating breakfast or anything like that. So they're the things I've never read about in any books, even the ones I've read now, like uh, for anxiety or depression. I haven't seen anything like that. So that makes me think, you know, when you say yeah. you, you you picked at your skin, i was like, oh, my
1: God, so I, it is common. <laughs> I never yeah, want to see 100%. Normal. Common, yeah. Right? yeah, 100%. And even, uh, I have to laugh at this one. So I didn't even realise before, I don't know, like it's probably the stress that has brought them out a bit more, but what am I, 38 now? So um, I started to notice some grey hairs, right? So after yeah. indie, and I'm sure because of the anxiety they came out more, but once I noticed them again, I would actually sit in, like, stand in the mirror and actually I do this now, it's one of my early warning signs, I'll start picking out one hair by one hair like the grey hairs. Yeah. like it's crazy and I mean I don't yeah. I mean I've got a lot but not like a whole head full as such but I sit there look for them and then pick them out but it's um yeah it's crazy because you're right you don't read about that sort of stuff and how to like that's what I want you know I guess I'm on a bit of a mission to do with like you know that around what some of the things that people don't talk about and say even for me like you know the perinatal side of things so when I was pregnant. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I looked for every single time I went to the bathroom, I looked for blood like every single time, um, you right. know, and I would, yeah, and I would get nervous between um, like say, for instance, you know, I go to the bathroom once and then the, like in between that time I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to the bathroom, I don't want to go to the bathroom because what if I see blood? Am I going to miscarry? Like, you know what I mean? It's I became That's so obsessed with thing. it. Yeah. <laughs> Literally every single time, and that's the thing that you know I, d- I never heard anybody talk about that because I guess if maybe if I had heard of that before, I would have said, Oh, yeah. okay, maybe I do need to talk to somebody, but I didn't like I it's went for thing. what almost 10 months, <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: I was uh teaching at the time, and yeah. every time kind of recess or lunch, I would go straight to the bathroom, obviously, because I you know needed to go, but also. I would do the exact same thing. I'll pull down my eyes oh, really? and think, is there going to be blood? Am I miscarrying? I think too at the same time because I, I did have some early spotting for probably the yeah. first, mm, I want to say six to eight weeks, oh, where wow. it looked like the start of a period, just that little browny, pinky type of spot in blood. And so I did the same thing, and every time I did, but like, walking up to the toilet, I can picture it in my head now, walking up the stairs and going into the cubicle, quickly slamming the door and just like going like, three, two, one, and, you know, pulling your pants down or whatever and going, please don't be blood, please don't be baby. Like you just were praying. But it, it sounds bizarre for me because I'd never actually experienced a miscarriage before. So I don't yeah. know why it it's- was in my head that much. I don't know. But hearing you say that makes me think, well, it wasn't just me. Like I wasn't no. the only one. And imagine how many moms we could be helping who were either tuning in now or will listen to this back on the replay to go, oh, wow, that's a thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, maybe I, like you said, Maybe I need to reach out to a psychologist or even just my midwife or my obstetrician or my mum or my sister and ask them, did they go through this or is it just all in my head because I can promise you at the time I told no one.
1: Yeah, I was the same. I didn't. I only told people afterwards and I actually, I guess I, like, you know, by the time India came around as well, like I had forgotten about that. And I guess once I really, I guess, started trying to educate myself around anxiety and because I couldn't see somebody for 12, 13 weeks, like I, and because I couldn't sleep, I literally laid in bed all night um, and all day, um, you know, like Googling, right, Dr. Google. Um, Oh, God. Yeah, and then it was only because I had that time, I was like, okay, what else was I feeling or what else was, you know, going on during pregnancy? And I think, um, again, in hindsight, how severe I was vomiting so apparently anxiety doesn't cause it however it can exacerbate it so the fact that like I was so so sick like I remember I had to stop going to the gym I think um when I was 15 weeks like I was going to the gym and like literally I had like a spew bag um, at the gym and I'm like okay this is crazy and I was from the central coast New South Wales I was um I was driving to Sydney to work at that stage yep. before lockdown and literally had like a bucket on the steering wheel travelling down the freeway. Uh-huh. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. Like this, like I was sick and I had a bucket in every house and my nieces used to just laugh at me because I literally oh had gosh. a bucket in every house, <laughs> in every room, sorry.
0: <laughs> do they know what causes that, Tammy? Yet? No. Like, yeah? No. Because I, I never experienced it so I didn't, uh, thankfully, have to research it. But do, is there... Is there a link
1: between anxiety and that or is it just potluck or I wonder, hey? Yeah, like they don't know because I guess like I'm, I come from a, like I've got a scientific background as well. So I'm always so curious about everything. Um, yeah. You know, and even when I spoke to, um, you know, psychologists last week about it and that's the thing, they don't have, there's no, um, like there's no direct correlation. Like there is some indication that there is a link but again it's like what is it does it cause it or does it just make it worse so i think it definitely makes it worse like i said it exacerbates it but does it cause it there's you know there's no there's no direct correlation at this stage but it's hard okay. cuz as i said how do you know like what's the what's the signs and it's they just They just didn't know. But I was on, um, like, multiple – I didn't want to, but I I was just that sick. I had to – I was on multiple um, anti-nausea medications. Like, I can't even remember what it was called. But, one, yeah, like, one of the ones that, um, you know, cancer patients have and then um, Moxelin, I think it was – Was was it Moxelin? Maxelin. You put it under your tongue and it
0: dissolves? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I have that. As a
0: cancer patient, I had that. I know exactly. But I used to be so sick with vomiting – the minute that touched under my tongue, I'd start vomiting.
1: <laughs> oh, I was the same. I actually think that those tablets made me worse. Like it was crazy. Actually, you know what? This is um, I have to share. And look, I mean, none of this obviously I'm proud of, but I'd rather, you know, let people know from an awareness point of view. I um, so but again because I was so sick through pregnancy, the obstetrician, um, you know, prescribed me even that was over the counter. Um, what Was it called Rest of It? So basically, like a, a sleeping tablet. So that okay. was apparently meant. Yeah, it was meant to be good, like you know, for helping reduce nausea overnight. Because I would literally wake up vomiting, like literally, like sit up and I'll be vomiting yeah so I know it was that was how bad it was so yeah so the obstetrician said oh Tammy why don't you take these so anyway I started taking them maybe at like four months um you know being pregnant and then I I guess I literally took them right up until um birth and I remember that first night in hospital with Indy like because she didn't have the sucking reflex and she was just screaming and I felt the anxiety like definitely at that point I'm like oh what if I just take one of these just to you know calm me down a little bit I literally did not stop taking those tablets I, I, I eased off but I didn't stop taking them um, I think I was maybe six months postpartum like I, I literally like relied on them to sleep and seven o'clock every night I would be because I was just that anxious um yeah I would literally be like a okay, cam taking this sleeping tablet at seven o'clock and I would be like counting almost every minute or every hour at Winding. least yeah for this Winding. tablet and it's um yeah like it's just so tough like maybe it wasn't six months maybe it was four months postpartum but it was you know for a significant amount of months that I was relying okay. on sleeping tablets to go to sleep so I had to calm those- myself as well
0: are they like an addictive type thing that can be uh, like have detrimental effects or was it more kind of like a natural thing that you could easily stop if you wanted to?
1: Well, this is the thing, right? So the obstetrician said, you know, theoretically they're not, um, you know, they weren't addictive. However, okay. my body got used to them. So although they might not, you know, from a class point of view, they're not addictive, um, you know, they are because my body couldn't, I couldn't go to sleep then like, you know, for months after that without them, like it was really, really difficult to wean off them. And also, um, you know, even when I spoke to my doctor at that point, I couldn't just go cold turkey and go off them because my body was just so used to them. I had to wean off um, and I started having some side effects, like feeling quite dizzy and just not feeling right at all when I was coming off them. Yeah, And I've I've never taken drugs or anything like that, Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I guess it's it sounded similar to people coming off drugs. It was crazy. A bit of a calm down. And then
0: you know, I'm curious to find out at what point did, well, I'm, I'm assuming you have had professional, because you just mentioned your counsellor. So at what yep. point in your postpartum journey, like how old was Indy when you got that professional support in for your anxiety?
1: Yeah, so... What was it? So she was about three and a half months old. When once I could finally see a mental health professional. Um, So because of COVID, it was crazy. Like, and I that just freaked me out. Like, I remember I had a really, really severe panic attack out on our deck, um, and I just could hardly breathe. And I remember calling Panda. Um, you know, and chatting to them. So calling the hotline, talking to them, saying, I just don't know what to do. Like I'm, you know, having a panic attack. I need to see somebody. I need to talk to somebody anyway. So they talked to me on the phone. That was good. They calmed me down. The next day I went to my doctor and was like, you know, I need to see somebody. And then I started calling around and I just couldn't believe it that, you know, literally the doctors, most of the um, specialist I was calling said, sorry, we've closed our books until February. And that was like, that was the start of November and I'm like but how like no you can't I'm like what it you know what are people what are other people doing like I guess I was bad but I also know that there would have been people worse than me if that makes sense and I'm like how are people surviving and I just could not understand and I guess that's when um So in between that time, so like I said, it was about 12, 13 weeks when I seen it until I could see a psychologist. But in between time, I did manage to get in to see a perinatal counsellor. Like I did a hell of a lot of research to try and find out who else could I see. So I did get to see yeah, somebody, right. which was good, like, to talk. But I also then um, I wasn't really too woo-woo before. Not that I am much now, but I still I actually start to love it a bit. Um, okay. But I actually what I did is I went to mama's Circle. So I, I was like, okay, what else oh, could yeah. I do? To try and help me. Yes, I went. I'd never been to one of those sort of things before, so I went to a mama's circle. Um, What else did I do? I went to an osteopath who is like a does inner healing. So she's again quite woo woo. Like I did different things like that that did make me feel good. Yeah,
0: yeah. By woo woo, you're kind of meaning that alternative, non-medicated, very you know culture of fixing things with a pill. So this is more like a holistic. That's what yep. we're talking about, right? When they are talking about the mind, body and heart being connected. And I think for someone in the corporate world, that definitely was the other end of the spectrum of what you're used to being. <laughs> and everything, probably very I hear you. White and, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, maybe just explain to us, if you can, just a little bit, and like a couple of sentences. What is a mama's circle for those who have no idea what it is?
1: Yeah, it's um oh it's just the most powerful thing. So the one that I went to, so you, I guess you go to um, you know, a space where a facilitator literally is holding space for a group of um women in this mm-hmm. in this um you know instance it was just mums, so it was a mummer's circle. So yeah, women, you know, join that nobody knows each other generally. Um you literally sit in a circle. Um yeah quite casual, have some, you know, herbal teas or whatever. And I guess it's, um, yeah, like there's a little bit of an altar in the centre just to calm you, like you can use some oils. And then it's, um, yes, yeah, so I guess it's just you go around the circle generally and just say how you're feeling, what's on your mind. So really highs and lows, but um, most people including me, um, you know, would talk mainly about the lows. Mm. Like I <laughs> I used to laugh yeah. though because my partner, he would be like, oh, Tim, you go into to crying circle because I couldn't even know <laughs> I was, yes, even though, even though like I had such severe anxiety, I couldn't cry and I didn't cry. And then oh, but yeah. once I went to the circle, I literally just like bawled my eyes out and then so I come home and he's like, did you cry again? I'm like, yes. <laughs> really? But no, it's. Yeah, it was good though because that's the whole thing, right, that you want to release that energy and release that emotion and it's just the most powerful thing like being in the circle where you don't like if so somebody like myself, you know, I'd be breaking down, crying, like sometimes, like you know, quite, you know, out of control crying Um, and you don't go up to that person, you don't hug them, you just sit there and you hold space for them. So I think that's the whole, you know, point of it. You don't want, like, you want those tears to, you know, hit their chin, like hit their, hit their lip, hit the chin. Yeah. 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 Rather than trying to stop them and fix them. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, one of the challenges with um, our society, right? Like the condition in that, you know, you can't, if you cry or, you know, you're you're a wimp or you're a drama queen, but emotion mm-hmm. is good and, you know, tears are good and it's healthy and you want to release that energy and the trauma. So that's something that, you know, I'm really mindful with Indy as well that, you know, with my little yeah. one, I don't want her to feel like as if she needs to suppress her emotions because I know that I've suppressed my emotions my whole life and, being in the corporate world, like you do become very, very conditioned that you have to act a certain way. Yeah, Yeah. like be really tough and, you know, senior leadership, like senior leader and you, yeah, like there's so many, um, you know, expectations and pressures on you and it's just, I just want Indy just to be, feel what she, you know, feel the feels. Yeah,
0: and I think as parents we are probably seeing a bit more of a shift in that now too because you think about when you're a child and you fell over and you felt really hurt the first thing that your caregiver did for you was whack a band-aid on it like a literal band-aid to say (laughs) there you go you can't see the bleeding you're okay because they love you not it wasn't because they wanted to shush you because that's the way their parents taught them or you know that's the way they felt they could show love and to protect you and say it's okay was to put a band-aid on it and then distract you oh he's a lolly or oh look at that silly thing or naughty chair whatever it was and I have found I did the exact same thing with my kids for years and years until recently where I've learned similar to what you were saying about letting children feel that emotion and and so now even tonight my son cried something happened to him and he cried and I just held him really tight I didn't shush him I didn't rock him I didn't say here, have a Band-Aid. I mean, he wasn't bleeding, but I didn't say, yeah. here, have a Band-Aid. You're okay. Stop crying. It's okay now. I just held him on my lap. That's it. Yeah. Really simple stuff. And the more I learned, the more I realize I know nothing about parenting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> None of us do, right? Like, oh, and this is a whole thing that, of course, I come from quality assurance. So It's really process-driven, you know, procedures, yeah. policies. Like this is a whole thing. When Indy came out, it's like, but I don't know how to look after this child. Like, where's the manual? Where's the procedure? It's um, yeah. Still to this day, it's like you know, we're all winging it, right? We're doing the best we can.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's it. And and also just just learning along the way, yeah. I think, is is nice to know that we don't have to know it all just because we're the, the parent, and just because we've read a couple of books, we don't have to know it all. Um, and I think that's part of a lot of the mental health and anxiety. For me, is because I was always such a perfectionist and yep. have learned, children, thankfully, have helped me learn that it doesn't serve me well. Some people it might, that's the thing, that's your jam, go for it. Um, but I always loved it. I always thought I thrived on it and then probably in retrospect, it just made me come unstuck. If it's become, you know, like the like glues come unstuck and then you think <laughs> you're going crazy.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I'm a recovering perfectionist over here as well. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Do you know what our new motto is, Tammy? Our new motto in our family home, and it's really working well for us, especially in lockdown. Is that good is good enough?
1: So if
0: something isn't perfect and it's good, then guess what? It's good. Leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So So in the past, right? Here's a perfect example. In the past, my thing is to be a successful person, you wake up and you get out of bed and you make your bed immediately and then you start your day. That's just been my thing always. Yeah. And my daughter's done the same thing. But she's <laughs> I mean, she's she's only five but she makes her own bed and she has for, for, for as long as I've known because she sees mummy do it, right? Yeah. But I'd always go in after she'd made her bed and I would fix it and I would make it perfect and I'd get all the creases out now I just leave it and guess what when she gets in it's the same bloody bed it didn't change if the blankets were not perfect or not and she still goes to sleep and it's still really comfortable so good see where that is good it's good enough yeah because it takes the stress out of me from going oh god I have to go in there and make the bed again and I've already got so many things to do and it's really hard on my body physically to make her bed and But now I just let it go for it and it's okay. And I haven't died from it and I'm okay with it. Everyone's happier. And they're the things about, I think it's really good that we're talking about this for World Mental Health Day tomorrow is that small wins along the way like that eventually become a bigger picture of winning this mental health struggle.
1: Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. And, you know, for me, like one of my biggest challenges at the moment with my mental health is actually emotional eating. Um, Mm -hmm. And, again, in hindsight, it has been my entire life. I have literally like my, yeah, my wardrobe's crazy. It's like almost, um, you know, say size 10 right through to size 16, which I'm basically that now. Um, And I would lose, so like say, yeah, lose 25 kilos, put 25 kilos back on like over cycles of years And it's only, yeah, it's only once I, um, you know, went through this severe anxiety after having India that I actually was aware of what I was doing. And now I like, I I talk about it openly and I mean, I still have an issue with it in the sense that I can't quite stop it and I'm trying to work through that, but at least I'm aware of it and I'm acknowledging it and I'm actually speaking about it openly. So in my head, I'm like, surely this is, you know, a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Acknowledging it is the, probably one of the hardest things, too, isn't it? Just to go. Yeah. Oh, hello. There you are. That's what you're doing. And I do that with cleaning. So if I'm in the shower and I'm really trying to get that last bit of mold, and I'm like, okay, what's really going on for you today? Like, why are you doing this?
1: <laughs> I wish I had the cleaning you know, thing. Can we swap? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if mine, I mean, I guess when I think back, I've had this for a really long time, even pre-baby um because I did it with exercise too but to the nth degree and exercise was my way of calming the farm I guess inside I had always had incessant thoughts I think too much
1: Um, yeah I hear you (laughs)
0: obviously after birth trauma and and then adjusting to motherhood not being the picture that I expected and then not being okay with that and struggling with that mentally um yeah, it's been a massive process and it's not linear. So I'm not recovered. I don't think I've come through my daughter's nearly six. I, it's not like I go, yeah, I'm good now and I think I'm going to be forever. I think it's going to be a cycle of up and down, up and down for, I don't know, maybe forever. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I've had lots of, i twice, um, I self-admitted uh, once into a mums and bubs unit, like a Caratani trisilian type one to get support. Um, and then a second time in an actual mental health mums and bubs unit where they really specifically talk about with a psychiatrist. So it's not just your psychology counsellor type thing where you, you go in and have a chat. It's like a full-on psychiatrist where they talk about medication. And I don't know why. But I've always had this stigma against people having medication for mental health. Um, I think I took it in my early 20s and maybe, quite possibly, I had a boyfriend who was a dick who paid me out for it and then that (laughs) stuck with me. like You know, like like saying, "Oh, what do you got to take that for, you crazy person, that type of stuff. And then every time he was a dick and I would lose it, like be really angry because he was an alcoholic it would always be back on
1: me. It's your your crazy mental health. You're a psychopath. and I think Oh, that- God, Steph, we sound so similar. Like <laughs> I had an ex that was an alcoholic as well. Oh, <laughs> and God. I t- and I went through a really tough time in my 20s um, where I was depressed and I did get prescribed medication. I, I did take it for a bit, like the little yeah. blue pills or whatever it was. But, yep. again, I felt like a cra- I got made out to be I was a crazy person, so I stopped taking them.
0: Yeah, same. And I just thought, no, and, and I think that that has kind of been quite drilled into my core because when I saw this psychiatrist, um, I said, oh, look, I don't want to do medication. I also don't want another layer of complexity because you have to, I believe you have to kind of play with dosage and some side effects can be worse and better because I was in there with other mums who were medicated and they're like, don't do it. It makes you feel sick. It does this. It does that. But if I had to, then I had to. Like I did make this agreement with her. I said, look, if you give me a week of having some really intense therapy, let's get my son fixed because he was having lots of feeding issues. This was the second baby. Um, and she said, okay. And then after a week having sleep because I had no sleep, I was very sleep deprived, Yeah, um, it got better not fixed but better and so I was okay just to try and manage it with good diet good sleep and then good thinking patterns and I want to talk about that some more so with counselling I always thought it was a weak thing you know oh you've got to go see a doctor because you you know you're too weak but in actual fact you're probably too strong
1: (laughs) yeah
0: because you the way that you're thinking can be so fixed, you know, that black and white, all-or-nothing corporate-type brain, Yes. <laughs> when things don't work out the way that you picture, then it's really hard to let go of that. Yeah. Um, and I think I don't actually know anyone, I don't think I've actually met anyone who doesn't have an element of a
1: mental health struggle in their life. Have you? Well... Oh. See, my like, uh, actually, both of my sisters and brother, actually, yeah, they don't like my mom. Definitely, my dad, I don't think so. But yeah, my three, um, my three siblings, I don't believe they do. And that's, I mean, okay. it does make, yeah, and it makes it quite difficult for me because okay. um, I feel like as if I am that black sheep. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, and, I'm, right. and yeah, like, and you know that I'm the one that's quite different if that makes sense. So, yeah, it's always been something on my mind that, like, literally in my head I'd be like, am I the crazy one? Because I think, you know, as kids, you know, even, like, you know, tease each other, um, you know, but I guess as an adult, like that sort of stuff sticks and you're like, well, am I that odd one out? So, yeah. Do you think they just don't talk about it? But they do? I, or you honestly think that they don't? I honestly don't think they do. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean maybe they maybe they have times of been low but I I don't think my older sister um has yeah has been through that at all I mean look she definitely like she was also a teacher and went through a difficult time um you know like you know with the situation that happened and she ended up leaving um, I guess, you know, the system, the education system and ended up doing more consultancy. And I know she yeah. had a hard time. So that would have, I guess that would have played on her mental health, but not, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say that she's had, you know, mental health struggles, if that makes sense. Like a condition. Yeah. 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 I see what you're
0: saying. Yeah. I probably, I probably worded that wrong. I probably met like, I, I haven't met anyone who hasn't had a moment in their life where they've probably could have done with some extra support. So, Yeah, let's talk about about what mental health support looks like because it looks like so many different things for so many different people. I know um, people try to self-manage, you know, either with exercise or cleaning or eating or um, getting stuck into work. And I think when you're in it, you don't really recognise it at all. Um, But if we think about the people who love us and care for us, what do you think would be some of the things that they could look for or see? They think, oh, maybe, um, maybe she's not so great, or maybe he's not doing so well right now.
1: Yeah, I think. Um, I guess a big thing, you know, for me looking back at my experience was my family did pick it up fairly early, and it was because I didn't want to leave the bedroom. I literally, I was just obsessing over Indy's sleep. So it was that vicious cycle, like, you know, she had feeding issues, then I was anxious. And then, you know, she wasn't sleeping properly because she wasn't getting enough food, but it was that complete obsession over her sleep. So I literally basically stayed in our bedroom, um, you know, like I said, almost for a month. So I think, you know, that was something that my family seen quite early that my mum had seen. And because i basically said to people, can you please come over? Like we used to laugh and say, come and adult sit me. So whilst (laughs) Kel was at work, yeah, so my mum or my sister, yeah. But, I mean, look, I that's the thing. Like I've never been afraid to say, hey, I need help. But I think, you know, that's a sign, the fact that, um, you know, that you are literally basically confining yourself to a certain space. Um, Again, you're not confident in doing things um, and didn't want to be alone. So that was, okay. you know, definitely me and, you know, my partner, um, he's actually going through quite severe um, mental health challenges as well and basically he did two months after me. So he was okay beforehand but, again, something happened, um, you know, in his personal life, I guess. And unfortunately, whilst I was going through anxiety, he ended up um, going through really severe depression and he's still actually trying, you know, trying to get through it. So, wow. I, you know, yeah, and that's really different because, it's quite different to anxiety where, you know, for me, I'm so motivated, almost obsessed, like almost like yeah. the OCD literally coming in to get busy, better. Busy. Yeah, like busy, like, you know, focusing on so many other things and just go, 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 like agitated where, you know, I guess I look at him and he's like so severely and deeply depressed that struggles to get out of bed, struggles to mm. be happy and like it's, yeah, like it's it's literally almost like the opposite. It's... um. I don't think I've ever been that deeply depressed. Like, yes, I was definitely. I, I did go through a bout of depression, um, like similar to you, the early twenties. Yeah. Um. You know, but I don't know if I was that bad. But yeah, I guess it's just you know, for him, you know, looking at um, Kay, like he, you know, struggles to sleep. You can see like he doesn't eat. Like it's like I have the opposite. Like emotional eating, so I overeat, <laughs> you and do he do. doesn't. <laughs> yeah literally and then he wouldn't eat enough or drink or it's yeah like or look after himself and yes I guess it's like you know signs like that or the moods like again the mood swings or he's a really level-headed guy and then every now and then like you know if he's feeling really low he might like snap like just say something and I'm like oh like you know you've got tone type things so for me that's a sign that he's not quite right and I mean I know it anyway but yes I guess it's like little things like that If you you see your loved ones, um, you know, being a little bit irrational and it's not in their nature or, you know, again, um, you know, really changing in eating patterns or sleeping patterns, mood. You know, he used to run and basically he's now stopped doing all exercise. He's just, yeah, like not motivated. Yeah, Yeah, it's really tough. That's so tough, especially from
0: someone who's had exercise background. (laughs) Yeah. because it gives you those natural endorphins, it makes you literally feel better. I've never gone out and exercised and come back and went, oh, I feel shit. You always come back feeling, yeah, I feel way better or, yeah, that was good for me. I don't, that breathing, like they talk about that in exercise all the time, that constant, the deep breath you have to get when you exert that amount of energy and then the endorphins in the front part of your brain, it's almost like as you run, they build up in the bank and then you've got some to sustain you throughout the day. If he's not running, then
1: they're not replenishing themselves, are they? No. And that's a and that's the whole thing, right? It's that vicious cycle, I guess, similar but different to anxiety, where, you know, like for depression, that you just don't have the motivation to do it, even though yeah. he knows that it would be be good for him. But he physically can't, you know, he just cannot do it. Like just to be honest, sometimes like he has such debilitating migraines that, you know, standing up sometimes is a struggle. So, yeah, yeah, so tomorrow like is a, you know, I guess a day that is quite important for us in our household as well, like given the fact that, you know, I've got the anxiety arm and he's got the depression arm.
0: Yeah, so tell us, like I know that you are become like a mentor now because you gone through what you did when Indy was born you were forever grateful and want to give back and so I know that you've created the mama life is now on Instagram which um people can go and check out your account and see what you're doing um tell us a little bit about that how did you kind of think well I'm going to create this page and I'm going to do this and and what's what's kind of like your your goal with that?
1: Yeah. So whilst I was on um, maternity leave, I decided because again, like, you know, what I went through and the fact that, you know, I guess I felt like as if the mental health system, you know, and there's no such thing as failure, but in my head, it was like, it failed me because I yeah. couldn't see somebody for 12 to 13 weeks. And I was like, I don't want another mum to go through what I went through or, like you know, I guess they, uh, could I help them before it escalates out of control? So I said, okay, well, what could I do? All right, well, I did a uni degree, a science degree. However, I, so I didn't really want to go back to uni to do psychology as such like another, what is it, five years or wouldn't have been that much for me because of science thing. Yeah. But I was like, nah, not doing that. And then I thought, okay, what else could I do? Like how could I support mums. So I decided to do life coaching. So actually, whilst on mat leave, I actually um, completed, you know, my studies around becoming a life coach. So I did all the modules and all the practicals around that. And I'm getting accredited to be um, an international, um, you know, certified coach as well. So yes, I guess it's just, yeah, so it's just that passion to I guess, support other women and, you know, other mums to, I guess, you know, break free from fear. So my life I've lived, to be honest, I've lived like, you know, the last 38 years around fear. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so fearful of everything. And it's like yeah. the littlest things. And, you know, and I was fearful even before having, um, you know, the severe anxiety. And I guess that's the thing. It's like, okay, well, if I can help a mum face fears, um, you know, break free from stress and anxiety to feel more alive, then, you know, I yeah. guess it would fill my cup. So so that's totally. what I'm doing. So, yeah, so I'm a, um, yes, I'm a mama coach and mentor. But I guess recently I have actually expanded out to support all women. So this is where okay. I've actually, yeah, so I've partnered with a, another beautiful mum who went through quite severe anxiety and agoraphobia. So she basically she didn't leave her house for four years. So, wow. yes, yeah, so, oh, crazy, like it's, that's but a she's, long about, time. it is, it is, like she said that the only time basically she left was, I think, you know, her um, girls went to school around the corner basically, so she drove around the corner and that's it, like she literally didn't leave her house apart from taking them to school, so yeah, yeah. so she really, really struggled and we, um, through social media, we actually connected and I guess sharing our stories Um, You know, we, yeah, we connected through our storytelling and, you know, I guess we have a similar mission that we want to uplift women, Um, you know, yes, mums, but, you know, all women and we just don't want anybody to go through what we went through and if we can help provide that sort of support network and community um, and, you know, some tools, then, you know, I guess, again, it like it fills up my cup and I always say it gives me oxygen like it really does and you know so we actually came up with the pain to power sisterhood which is also on instagram and facebook but it's actually yeah so we've got i think in three weeks we have almost 500 members and yeah like in the closed facebook group and it is epic like it is i can't like i I struggle to even explain the feeling of it (laughs) because it's like i don't know like people people are coming into this group within minutes are literally like it's, it's an uplifting group, but it's also a group where people share their raw and real stories and, yeah. like, opening up about things that they literally would have taken to their grave potentially. Like, some I mean, of these people... The judgement, right? Yes, no judgement. Like, people, yeah. are, people are supporting. Yeah, and it was like, I know there was um, one lady that had shared her story of, um, you know, addiction and prostitution and now she's become a doula. Like, you know, so obviously she's, you know, healed from that and she'd never shared her story Outside wow. of her immediate immediate family, and she came into this group, didn't realize she was going to. But yeah. I don't know, I don't know what it is. But she she felt really really comfortable to be vulnerable. And there's hundreds of other women that have done exactly the same thing that they had no idea they're just going to share all of this, and they come in and they share. And I don't know, like why is it different? Like this is what we say, why is it different? But I guess Leah and myself, like we are really open like we're really raw vulnerable it's it's almost like there's nothing off limits so i guess i you know we are leading by example as such and i guess we're giving people permission and it's like a ripple effect where you know we obviously opened up and then the next person and it just keeps going on and on and on and it's like it's absolutely crazy like how people are open up but it's magical
0: (laughs) so you're just kind of peeling those layers off of that like here's a layer off of judgment, here's a layer off of expectation, here's a layer off what society wants to perceive, perceive like wants me to portray myself as and then yeah. you take all of that away and inside you've got this really vulnerable, scared, fearful woman who just needs like someone like in you, you guys in your pain to power sisterhood group to go, it's okay, we see yeah. you we hear you, we are you,
1: (laughs) you know. Exactly, (laughs) but that's the whole thing, like that's all it is and this is what I always say that, you know, we are all little girls inside an adult body just looking for connection. I love that. Yeah. And like, that's all it is. Like we really are like, it's, it's that simple. And we, and you know, our our kids can teach us so much. And I just, and this is what, you know, to be honest, I remember looking at Indy one day and I'm like, I need to be vulnerable. I need to share my story because I look to Indy and I want to teach her that it's okay to be who she is and be proud of who she is no matter what she's feeling or going through. So Mm. yeah, like it's just, our kids can teach us so much. So I think we do need to peel back those layers and just go back to some of the simple things and, you know, be kind, treat people how you would like to be treated. And look, we've all made mistakes in our life as such, but we learn from them. It's all part of our journey. So don't judge anybody. That's, you know, that's always what I feel.
0: Yeah. And that's a hard thing too, right? Because we've been, we've been kind of taught or self taught or it's ingrained. I don't know. don't, I don't have the degree to tell me the right answer there, but Judgment is something that we do in life. So it's a flight or fight. So if you see something that doesn't feel quite right, you know, you've got to either leave it or whatever. But to pass judgment is the next thing. So judging things is okay. So like this situation feels like it's dangerous. I'm getting out of here or I'm going to judge this. This is not safe for me, my daughter, whatever. We're out of here. But when you pass judgment on a, what another person is doing onto them and say, well, that's not a good mum. If you can't breastfeed, bad mummy. You know, like that's that's yeah. the judgment for, from you being passed onto them, which is not okay. And I think there's a difference there um, because I know even within our private tips and tricks for women living with prolapse, we say we're here without judgment but what we mean is everyone Everyone has thoughts on things. Everyone will agree or disagree. That's okay. But we're not about to sit there and go, well, you have to do this exercise or you're not as good as me. That's passing the judgment. Um, And I think that's sometimes what gets us into this mental health space in the first place is that these judgment files, I call them, is that everyone (laughs) just feels judged and scared to do anything outside the box. Um, yeah, but when you do it, you're like, yeah, you know what? That probably wasn't so bad. Um, so, if women is this pain to power sisterhood uh, for women and people identifying as female?
1: Yeah, correct. So, um, yeah, and so anybody eighteen plus. Okay, That a bit of a safe space, yeah? Yeah, so definitely a safe space and it's really, um, it's really an uplifting environment as well. Like we like to keep it quite positive and like I said, I've got a lot of stuff happening as you could have, you know, would have heard, you know, with my partner and stuff around his mental health and my mental yes. health. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I don't want to sit in the pain. And I guess that's that's what we, you know, part of our mission is that if we can help women move from pain to power and that's, you know, where it came from. And, you know, that's like, I'm still a work in progress. I don't want to sit in my pain. And you know, we we all have stuff that, you know, happens and we, you know, a lot of us have different traumas that have happened throughout our lives, but we don't yeah. have to sit with sit in the pain. We can use the pain and turn it into something more positive. So that's really, yep. you know, what we do. So it's not a doom and gloom group at all. Um, yes, there's real conversations, but it's very much uplifting.
0: I love that name too, pain to power. So you're using what has hurt you, to turn it into something good, like in, like you said, in that positive way so that they can start to work through, start the process, just jump on that. And I know even with women living with prolapse and other women who have had birth trauma say, oh, I've got to start this really long road. To me, I just think if you think of it as a long road, it's like a massive yucky task, Yeah, but I think of it, this is just your road to recovery. There is actually no end. Imagine all the amazing places. Yeah. Our whole places. life is
1: a journey, hey.
0: <laughs> yeah. Imagine, picture all the amazing places you get to go on this road. Imagine all the people you get to pick up and then stop and chat as like enjoying the process, not the outcome is what the way I think people should probably try and rethink that. So it's not just like, oh, I'm going to go from A to B. I'm going to go from broken to fixed and then I'll be okay because yeah. I don't know if there's anyone who's actually done that I think it's, it's always going to be a continuum thing that you're on um just to finish up I think you've mentioned panda before so for our Australian listeners they would probably familiar be familiar with panda as one of the mental health supports what are some of the? Is there any others that have you know have been helpful to either yourself or your partner
1: yeah, so the Gidget Foundation, um, you know, mm-hmm. they're an amazing um, charity as well around um, perinatal mental health. So they're yep. really fantastic and I've actually become a um, Gidget angel. So I'm, again, you know, quite a big advocate for them. Um, yeah, so they've been quite good. Um, Beyond Blue, again, um, you know, they offer a great, great support as well. Like, a, um, you know, that's, again, a hotline. So they're Can quite good. And, what was that? Sorry you can just
0: ring up on the phone, like it doesn't have to be a face-to-face. I think some of them are 24 hours too.
1: There's Lifeline's 24 hours. 24 hours, yep, yep. And I think um, I'm pretty sure Beyond Blue is as well. Um, You know, they're quite good. And then for me, um, one of the ones I absolutely love because it's really simple messaging and, you know, again, coming from that corporate world, you know, are you okay? Like I love yeah. that. Like it's just such a simple concept where you know, again, um, you know, it's it's just e- easy for everybody to understand and just to have that simple conversation. Are you okay? And obviously this year it was, are you okay? Are you really okay? You know, don't <laughs> just stop it. Are you okay? And if you're not prepared for somebody to say, actually, I'm not then maybe it's not the right time to actually ask that question because you need to be prepared to look at the different signs when maybe they aren't okay. Like you can't just say, okay, yep, I asked the question. I've done my job. Like that's not, you know, that's not what they need.
0: And that's funny because Are You Okay Day was just last month here in Australia and I know that a lot of people do ask on the day, are you okay? And then quite often people go, yeah, But what about tomorrow? (laughs) Yeah. What about the next day? What about in three weeks? Maybe you can ask me. I think it's really hard even to answer that when people say, "Are you okay?" I think our—it's like that. Hi, how are you? Yeah, good. How are you? In the UK, they say instead of saying "Hi, how are you?" they go, "You're right. Yeah, you're right." right. (laughs) As if they're telling you you're all right. Um, Yeah. We don't kind of do that until we give ourselves opportunity to sit down. I find personally, Tammy, that when you sit down with a cup of tea across the table from someone or just like a hot beverage of some sort, you can't be on the run, you can't be on the rush, you can't be on your phone. You sit down and you're like, so what's been happening? Tell me, what did you do last weekend? And you start the conversations in a different way, probably about the eighth question in. You get to know how someone really is because they're like, actually yeah this happened and I'm really shit um you know I'm not feeling great about this I don't know what to do with this can you give me some help and so it's about giving people time
1: I think yeah definitely time and
0: space yes messaging me on my phone hi I know we haven't spoken for two years how are you the response you're going to get is yeah good yeah good yeah
1: you going know, to say, oh, by the way, I haven't spoken for two years, and I'm now a basket case as such, and I'm getting therapy, and blah 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 blah.
0: Yeah, or like I could really do with where have you been, or you know, or whatever, whatever it is. But it's um, yeah. I think if we are trying to make a difference in this world, Mental Health Day, once things do open up in the world, ask someone potentially to grab a cuppa with you. Hey, do you want to go for a coffee? We'll go for a coffee and a walk. And then you're not going with an agenda to say how are you really, but it might go there and it might, be, it might be worth looking at the Are You Okay Day website because you're right, when you ask someone and they give you the answer going, no, I'm really shit, you're like, oh, what do I do with that? I don't know, I yeah. don't know what to do with and that. what's the next step? <laughs> yeah. So you get some tools and you get some tips and you become, you go into a conversation pretty armed and you're like, yeah, right, okay, so if they say that they're not okay, Maybe I could suggest A, B, C, or D, right? Yeah. Maybe you don't have to suggest anything at all, just like the kids. We just have to be there and just to go, okay, I hear you. Yeah. I'm can I help you yet. with that in any way, not try to fire off suggestions or maybe you need this and maybe you need that. You could just say, um, you know, can I help you with that? Yeah. Something. I don't know. I just think just continuing those conversations. And then, you know, one tip I find really helpful is to say to that person when someone has opened up to you and said, I'm not okay. Yeah. I think at the very end, you say to them, Do you mind if I check back in with you in about a week's time? Because then you're giving us, your, you're letting that person be prepared to know that someone's going to check back in on you because if you get worse, you're going to need it. But if you get better, it's nice to know that someone's there for you. But just preempting that conversation, go. you know what, I might check in with you in about a week's time. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, I'll They love could that. say yeah.
0: Yeah, right, because you're leaving it open. Because I do know sometimes, um, like in particular, you share things with a family member or your bestie, you have a vent, you don't want to talk about it in a week's time you know like oh i had a fight with my boyfriend and in a week they're like hey how'd you sort that out you're like yeah i'm over that let's move on <laughs> yeah but at least if that's old news in, yeah but at least if you're checking in and asking permission then i just think it just leaves a nice safety net you know yeah to revisit Definitely. it if it, if it needs to be revisited you'll find out you know oh look um Like you said, I think the more we know, the better we can be. I love that saying, when we know better, we can do better. And I hope by us having this conversation tonight, someone is obviously going to listen to this in the replay and go, either A, I'm someone who needs help and maybe I could ask that person now. I've got courage. Or B, I'm a support person and maybe I know how to support my friend, my loved one better.
1: Let's hope. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. And just, Steph, just before we go as well. So something that, um, you know, we're doing tomorrow. So again, within the painter power sisterhood. So, yeah, so one of our, um, one of the beautiful members of our sisterhood that we've become, you know, quite good friends with, she actually lost her husband to mental health. So he committed suicide, unfortunately, some years back. Um, and she's, yeah. And so she's really, really struggled to process that and to talk about it openly. So, um, so, through connecting with the group, she is now talking about it and she came up with the slogan, um, fragile and strong, which I absolutely love. And that's, um, you know, I feel like that every day with my anxiety that, you know, some days like I'm in tears and I, I still every now and then have, um, you know, panic attacks. Actually, not every yeah. now and then. At, at the moment, I am having them quite a lot. <laughs> but, okay. um, you know, but I can be, yeah, fragile and strong and I can be supporting other women and, you know, giving, that's giving me oxygen but I can be fragile and strong. So, yeah, we're really getting behind her and creating a movement. So tomorrow, yeah, um, yeah we've got hashtag fragile and strong, but I've actually spent most of the day with my partner basically creating an, um, an awareness video, So which will be launched tomorrow. We've got over, awesome. I think, yeah, 10 or 12 women um, that have actually, you know, shared a little bit of their story and have Different signs that they're holding around, um, you know, my blah, blah, blah um, makes me fragile and strong. So, yeah, look, so please, um, anybody out there um, on social media, please get behind it, please share it because this is about breaking down the stigmas that, you know, you are not weak if you share your story. You can be fragile and strong all in the same breath. And I think that's what we need to do also is break down those stigmas that you're not broken, you're not weird. You know there's nothing wrong with you as such mental ill health is just so common these days and we just need to be able to get more comfortable with talking about it openly
0: to be able to get help to feel better right like 100%. yeah obviously everyone wants to feel better and i think that's lovely if you share that with us um we will also can post it and so the hashtag is um brave and sorry remind me fragile what it is fragile and strong fragile hashtag- and strong not yeah, not brave and strong, fragile and strong, which is just a great way to think about it because to look at us, to look at you and I right now, people would see photos on social media with our babies and think, oh, wow, they've got it all together. They're amazing. They're really normal. Like I hate saying they're <laughs> normal, but they're, they look like common people. Yeah. yeah. But then they don't see the fragility underneath. And that no. that side of us I think is – um really good to share because then it makes other people feel not alone.
1: Exactly. A hundred percent. Like I've, and I, you know, I decided to share not, not over sympathy at all, but you know, some videos like where I'm literally like upset, like I'm, really upset and I got shingles recently because of the stress and I couldn't hold India for 11 days yeah like it was crazy so because of the risk of giving her chicken pox I couldn't hold her and you know for me yeah like I did a video like when you know just talking about how I felt and I'm like you know what we need to put more of this out there because it's you know we are all human and you know it's what's what does really like you said what does normal mean so for me yeah. it's like you know what well, I'm going to put it out there and I didn't care about the judgment that I didn't I mean I didn't get any judgment directly and I'm sure some people are like why did you put that up there I did it for awareness so people that are going through something some pain that they know that they're not alone
0: yeah that's really brave of you to do that because you were probably scared to do that but did it anyway that's awesome yeah 100% <laughs> <laughs> That's, and you know what? The people who will say something will always probably were going to say something anyway and you've just got to let them keep that, to, like as in just somehow block that out and just let them go, well, that was their thing. You're not my people. That's okay. Whatever. Yeah, 100%. I can't, I can't change you but I can change everyone else here who's, who might be affected. So that's awesome. Oh, wow, that's. So good and I'm so glad, thank you for being so open and honest and vulnerable and brave all at the same time tonight. We've really enjoyed to learn about your story and what the amazing things you're doing with, you know, Pain to Power Sisterhood and Mama Life Is Now. So I really hope people get not only behind you in what you're doing but also feel welcome to join your group and be part of that too. 100%.
1: Everyone's welcome.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Tammy. We've enjoyed chatting. I hope we can come back again because we're actually thinking about trialling this Women's Hour of Power probably once a month and so it's just nice to get on with no agenda, have a chat. Feel good, have a cup of tea or a glass of wine, whatever it is, (laughs) in the hope that we can help others as well. So um yeah, I hope you have a lovely night and we shall
1: catch up with you too soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thanks, Steph. Bye everyone. Bye.